Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Hello from downtown Doha. My name is Joshua Cloak, and I am here to talk to you as often as I can about being a Canadian men's national team reporter, following the Canadian men's national team at their first World Cup in 36 years. And it is also my first World Cup ever. I was hoping to talk to you guys throughout this tournament about what it's like being here what it's like following this Canadian team, and perhaps most importantly, what it's like covering a World Cup for the first time. You know, when we talked about, when we think about this men's national team, the Canadian men's national team throughout qualifying, the World Cup, you know, up until the the point that they did qualify, the World Cup just seemed like, I think for a lot of players, a lot of fans, like a completely unattainable dream. Um, And now we're here. Now the World Cup is a reality. And I have the incredibly fortunate position of being in Doha, covering this team every single day. So I wanted to take listeners kind of behind the curtain a little bit and show you guys a little bit about what it's like being around this team, what it's like being in Doha, what it's like being at a World Cup. Um, Obviously, a, a remarkably different World Cup compared to past World Cups. A strange World Cup in a lot of ways. Um, so I wanted to use this space to, to talk to you guys and, and kind of, you know, let you in because there, there's so much that, that, you know, obviously needs to be discussed with this men's national team um, and with this World Cup in Qatar. Uh, so we're going to be talking as often as we can throughout the tournament. Um, there's a few things I was hoping to, to talk about today. I wanted to, to start with my impressions of being here. I've been here for about a week now, including a brief journey to Dubai to cover their friendly against Japan. We're gonna talk about that. Um, I'd like to talk to you just about what it's like for this men's national team actually being here as outsiders in a lot of ways. And then I've got a chat with my good friend, Peter Galindo of Sportsnet and MLS, talking tactics. you know, some of you might know Peter as the stats man, as John Herdman affectionately refers to him as. Um, and then we're going to talk about what that means or what the Canadian team has to do to succeed against Belgium. Um, so thanks for listening. Let's get started. Um, it, I landed in Doha uh, Tuesday morning, very early Tuesday morning. Um, and it was you know, it, it, it felt strange. You obviously, you walk out of the airport right away and you're just hit by this this heat. Um, I actually landed, excuse me, I landed Tuesday evening um, and you're just hit by this this heat. It's it's about 8 p.m. The sun is set, um, but but it's hot right away. I, I wore a hoodie on the, the, the plane to stay comfortable and, you know, I had to tear it off as soon as I got into the Uber. 
And that's when I kind of first realized um, that this, you know, kind of what the World Cup it can be um, for people. You would not know that there is anything else to do in Doha except attend World Cup matches because you, as soon as you land, you are just hit by World Cup signs, World Cup statues, um, shops. And I mean, like, literally as soon as you step off the plane. And then once you exit customs, you know, which was a remarkably smooth process, um, very clear directions on how to get to Ubers. I have, you know, I, th I think anybody that, that, you know, rides Ubers knows you kind of roll the dice. Sometimes you have to wait a long time. Sometimes you don't. The lineup to get an Uber was remarkably short. Um, and, and that's one thing I've noticed about being in Doha. There are people anywhere you go. There are people ready to guide you from one spot to the next. You know, if you need to get an Uber, if you need to get on the subway, there are people every five feet telling you where to go. Now, this was obviously a full week ago, and there's more and more people there. So perhaps the personal attention, you know, will be a bit less. But that those were kind of my initial impressions of, of Doha's is, you know, this is a place that is completely geared towards, you know, helping people along as they arrive for the World Cup. But as the days kind of went by, it felt a little bit different. You know, I was expecting um, the atmosphere to get amped up right away. And, you know, I'm recording this um, Monday, November 21st in the morning Doha time. And Obviously, the World Cup opener last night between Ecuador and, and Qatar is finished. Um, but up until, you know, yesterday and even th throughout yesterday, it's not hard to feel as if the World Cup isn't really here. And I say that for a few reasons. What this feels like, and again, this is uh, this is my perspective as a, as a rookie in the World Cup. And it was put to me by another journalist, and I just think it's so apt. This feels a little bit less like a World Cup and more like a convention because everybody's in the same place. You know, you you don't have to work very hard to to, to find, you know, people. And by that, I mean colleagues and, and other journalists because everybody is essentially in the same city. Um, whereas I know that, you know, in past World Cups, you have to fly from city to city and you basically only see the other journalists that, you know, cover the same team as you. Um, but it just doesn't feel like a proper World Cup has kicked off as of yet. You know, I've taken a number of walks through the Sukhwakif, which is kind of the, the, the big market square. And it is a... You know, it's an incredible spot. It, it feels, you know, very authentic in a lot of ways. Um, but what struck me is that, you know, you might see pockets of, you know, eight to 10 Mexican fans or, you know, I, I remember seeing a few nights ago, you know, a, a pocket of about a dozen Morocco fans. And that was it, right? I know that, you know, some people have maybe seen more and more fans, but it's been hard for me to kind of see a lot of, those big groups of traveling fans um, that we often see, and, and and I think that's what makes you know World Cup so special, is fans from all over the world congregating, and um, I don't know if I've seen a lot of that yet. I mean, 
again, it's Monday morning here, and I have yet to see a single Canadian fan, or at least a, a Canadian fan wearing Canadian gear out and about. Um, so it, it just doesn't feel like we're there yet. Obviously, there's more games to go, and the games are going to come hard and fast uh, today with three games kicking off, and then there's there's days where there's going to be four games kicking off. Um, but it, it all feels very muted. And, and even when you go out, I, I, and I know people want to know a lot about, you know, what it's like to to go out and be, um, you know, in, in public and, and find bars and find alcohol. Yes, you can find alcohol here. You can, you know, it's very often at, at hotel bars. It's mostly at hotel bars. Um, those aren't, you know, those kind of bars are not hard to find. But even then, um, it doesn't feel like, you know, a, a proper World Cup because I, there's a there's a cautiousness, I think, in the way that a lot of people are operating. Um, I went to an Irish pub, literally called the Irish Pub Doha, uh, the creatively named Irish Pub Doha the other night with a few other Canadian journalists. Um, and look, it, it was strange. There was a, a few fans, but not a ton. Um, it just doesn't feel, I think there were a lot of concerns about um, you know, would this city of Doha be able to handle the influx of fans? And again, it's early, uh, but they seem to be handling it really well so far because there just doesn't seem to be as many people, I think, as I expected. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's all these other little things that, that you have to kind of get used to. Um, anytime you go into any bar, you have to hand over your passport for a scan. And I think a lot of the bars um, that seemingly have kind of popped up overnight have been geared towards, um, I guess, what people just imagine a bar should look like, right? This Again, this was an Irish pub um, that very quickly, some point around 10 p.m., I would say devolved into a, a nightclub, um, playing the kind of songs that I remember hearing, you know, at, at generic clubs in, in university, clubs that I hated to go to. But... Um, so it, it's been hard for me to find a place that, that feels like an authentic um, sports bar, uh, but I guess I have to keep looking, and that's not a bad assignment either. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at so far with, with Doha. It's obviously very early, but it just doesn't feel like we're there yet. We'll see. Um, I really want to talk to you about being here um, and covering Canada. Because this Canadian team, in a lot of ways, um, are outsiders, right? I think they know that. You know, Jonathan Osorio, Canadian midfielder, spoke to the media yesterday. And one of the first things he talked about was how it's on this team to prove to the world that they are, quote, a football nation, right? I think there is a bit of a chip on the shoulder of some of these Canadian players because they know not only are they underdogs, but I think there is, while, while some people are looking at this Canadian team as one that can surprise, I think that's because there's just not a lot known about this Canadian team. Um, after Canadian training yesterday, I took an Uber back downtown um, and the Uber driver, as, as you know, they do, they ask where you're from. And, and I said, Canada. Um, and they asked, oh, are, are Canada playing at the World Cup? They're not playing here, are they? And there was this brief moment of silence. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm here covering the Canadian team. And, the, you know, my Uber driver just said, oh, that's surprising. Um, and we just kind of left it at that. But I do think there is that that kind of attitude 
um, around this national team. There is, you know, and anytime I, I tell someone, maybe it's a journalist, maybe it's a local, um, that I'm here covering the men's national team, I always notice their eyes go in different directions, right? Some people, they they get surprised. Some people get very confused, right? I think the the, the generic stereotypes that follow Canada about being a one sport nation still exist outside of Canada, at least if, if we're judging, you know, the, on these few days in Doha. Um, again, I have yet to see a Canadian fan here yet. Um, I know that there are some here, but I, I, I hope to run into some soon. Um, there are Tim Hortons here, right? Again, as cliche as that sounds, I know there's a few Tim Hortons locations here. And yesterday at Canadian training, uh, there was Tim Hortons coffee and donuts for media members in the back. Um, I didn't indulge, but, you know, that's fine. Um, it, it, it just feels like there's like this Canadian men's national team know that there is a still a mountain to climb because people know Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. There's a billboard of Alfonso Davies here, right? And and I, I think people know those two stars, but outside of that, this men's national team, people look at it as the kind of team that maybe could pull off an upset, but there's other people here that I've talked to that think, you know, they could also lose those first two games against Belgium and Croatia's, Belgium and Croatia, excuse me, by a wide margin. Um, so I think that's going to be a big part of this men's national team's um, journey at the World Cup itself, right? They had to prove in Canada domestically they're a team to be taken seriously throughout qualifying. And I think now that they're here, they're still going to have to prove to a lot of people that they do belong. And obviously all of this is viewed with a lens you know, towards 2026 when they're going to be co-hosting games and, you know, I guess there's an asterisk here um, with Qatar's performance last night against Ecuador. But generally, host teams are expected to compete and get out of the group stage. And I think, you know, this this men's team know that towards 2026. Um, there are what I've noticed as well. I, I don't have, you know, data in front of me. This is just an observation and just in conversation with other journalists. I would imagine that Canada is one of the most underrepresented teams in terms of uh, media covering the team. Um, I think if you're listening to this podcast and you follow the men's national team, you probably know, you know, who the Canadian soccer reporters are and you know that there's not a ton. Um, the first inclination I had that, that Canada would be outnumbered in this regard is, is when I, you know, went over, took a quick flight over to Dubai um, to cover you know, Canada's friendly against Japan. And I kid you not, there were two Canadian journalists, myself included, in the line to get into the stadium uh, before the match. And at that point, there were over a hundred Japanese journalists. We were joined by one more uh, Canadian reporter and then that Japanese contingent was joined by another 50 reporters. So again, there was probably about 150 Japanese reporters just at a friendly in Dubai and three Canadian reporters. Um, I would wager that there's about 20, maybe 25 Canadian reporters here. Um, some of those are not reporters are not covering the men's national team exclusively. I am. Um, and it's a, a again, it's a position I'm very fortunate to have because I can really 
lean in on the team, but I know that some of the Canadian reporters have to go and cover, you know, other assignments. Um, I don't know what that means. It's again, just an observation. Uh, hopefully that changes um, in the lead up to 2026, but there's just, it, there's just a sense here around this Canadian team, you know, when they're called underdogs, I think there's a lot of reasons to kind of support that because you know, there's the attention on this team is still quite muted. Now, if they pull off an upset against Belgium or Croatia, they immediately become one of the stories of the tournament. Um, but th that I think that's a challenge that this team welcomes, right? Um, because there's there's still what I've noticed about this team as well. There is a positivity surrounding this team. Uh, that I think is rare in the World Cup because when teams, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sure if you're listening, you know, you've been following the World Cup intently for years. Um, you know, I remember my first World Cup that the first World Cup I ever watched a little bit of, you know, background, a little bit of how the, the sausage is made um, was was 1990. Um, my grandparents came over from Germany um, and I the first probably the, the first soccer match I ever watched um, was the 1990 World Cup final. Obviously, you know, in retrospect, a tedious, a boring final. But I sat on my grandparents' um, floor on a, this, you know, ugly, shaggy green carpet and watched Germany win 1-0. Uh, and, and you know, I, I just remember being around my family. I, I, there were more than 10 of us there in the room um, and feeling like this World Cup was was the pinnacle of sporting enjoyment. Uh, 1994 was probably the first World Cup that I followed intently. Um, and you quickly realize that, you know, for teams that qualify for the World Cup, um, I don't want to say life or death because, you know, that's being dramatic, but it's something like that. It's something that serious. If teams, you know, <laughs> again, I remember my first... Um, you know, World Cup that I watched closely um, when Colombian defender Andreas Escobar um, had an own goal um, and then he returns to Colombia and was murdered. You know, you get a sense then of just how serious the World Cup is, not just for teams, but for the country. And it's a little bit different with this Canadian team right now. And I say this because um, there is an air of positivity and confidence and just kind of youthful exuberance around this team. And obviously that's matched with the fact that they feel they have a chip on their shoulder. But look, I've been saying this to people, how many teams can go to this World Cup and possibly go 0-3 and the coach doesn't get fired and as long as the team competes, it's still viewed as a success. I don't know of a lot of like, let's just go across the border. If the United States goes 0-3, Greg Berhalter is, you know, out of a job. Most coaches, if they go on three, they're out of a job. That wouldn't happen with John Herdman and this men's national team because they're in a period of growth. So it's very interesting to be around a team where optimism is the flavor of the day. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just the reality of, of with this team, where this team is at right now, is that being around them you know, they're happy to be here. They're happy to be invited to the dance. They want to compete and they want to surprise teams. And they believe, talking to players, 
you know, in, in press conferences, talking to players one-on-one, they believe they can do something special here. Um, but I think they also know that just by being here, they're going to win over a large portion of fans that probably didn't exist otherwise. Um, I was talking to Sam Atakube about this before the World Cup, and you know he said there's two goals for this men's national team. One is to win, but the other one is to make an impression. Um, and I think that just by competing, they're going to do that. For example, um, I asked Jonathan David a question in yesterday's press conference, um, and rather than paraphrase, I'd rather just share... Um, his answer with you, forgive the poor-ish audio quality, but I think this just reflects or it speaks to, you know, where this Canadian team is at right now in terms of their mindset heading into Belgium. Hey Jonathan, how are you? I'm good. Two questions for you. First one, can you beat Belgium? Yeah, of course. I think on any given day, anything can be anyone. I just think, you know, if it falls on the red day, of course we can win. Your role with club and country is Changes from the nines, sometimes the wings, sometimes the second striker. Where do you think you would be most effective against Belgium? Uh, I'm not sure. It's a good question. Of course, uh, my club I played uh, as an overnight, but the coach at my club has already played me on the right side or sometimes between the lines. I think ultimately it's up to the coach, and after I try to do my best. All right, so that was Jonathan David. Um, one of the few Canadians that has spoke to the media so far. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break, and then when we come back, we've got a chat with Peter Galindo of MLS and Sportsnet, uh, who's just arrived here in Doha. Uh, we spoke yesterday at Canada's training base, which is about half an hour outside of Doha in the desert proper. Um whatever that means. And, um, you know, I spoke to, to Peter about Canada's chances, his observations, what's going to have to happen tactically for Canada to have a chance against uh, Belgium, R- you know, a real formi- formidable, excuse me, opponent, obviously. Um, we recorded this outside, you know, in the wind. The wind had picked up yesterday. It was the coldest day that I've had here in Doha, and even then it was 24 um, just to give you an idea. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of behind the curtain stuff here. So, we'll have a chat with Peter coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, I'm at Um Salal Training Grounds, which doubles as Canada's official training grounds for the duration of this tournament. And I'm here with my man, stats man, Peter Galindo from Sportsnet and MLS. Peter, how are you? I'm good in the flesh. Uh, very windy right now, in case that wasn't obvious on the recording, I'm sure, but... <laughs> it is, it is, they're training tonight at, um, I mean, it's almost 7 p.m., what I've noticed here, and I know you just got here, the sun sets quickly and it gets cool very, very quickly. Have you felt that so far? 100%. It's, but, but it's a comfortable cool, right? Because you get that kind of cool summer breeze. It's not humid. It, you could almost put on a sweater or a jacket and be 
totally comfortable, but during the day it does get very hot. So I, I didn't bring any jean jackets. I'm a little upset with myself about that. We're here, I, Peter. Um, I think you're one of the best, you know, writers that covers the Canadian national team out there. And so I wanted to just talk to you and get your thoughts a little bit. Canada's game three days away. Just where are you at right now with this national team as they go up against Belgium? I think I can comfortably say, and, and I'm sure you agree, this is the biggest game in men's national team history. Where are you at with this team three days away? It's flip-flopped for the past week, I think just like with everybody else who covers the team. But based on what I've seen of Belgium, what I've seen of Canada the last week or so, I feel like this could actually be the game where Canada could actually force an upset of some kind. Whoa, 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 whoa. I do. Why? First of all, I think a lot of people are underrating Croatia. And yes, they have some older players like Luka Modric, of course, who are still linchpins in the team. But the way they play is very quick, fluid. They obviously have a dominant midfield. That could be a game that I think gives them problems. Similar in a way to the Japan game, just maybe with a bit more execution and and maybe lethal finishing, let's say. Belgium, because of, first of all, no Romelu Lukaku, as we found out today, he's going to be out. Mishi Bashuai doesn't necessarily fit in too well in that front line, so that might alleviate some pressure on the defense. Aiden Azar and Kevin De Bruyne, as we know, are dynamic, lethal players on their day, so that is obviously still quite a test, but their midfield's a little disorganized. I'm not really sure if Tielemans and Witzel are on the same page because Witzel, I guess with his Atletico role, still kind of drops a bit too deep and then that leaves a massive gap. They've got a lot of older defenders. So listen, if they give Canada transitions, that is where they could punish them. Now that's obviously contingent on them giving Canada transitions because I'm sure Roberto Martinez is going to be aware of that threat. So transitions is a, is a word you mentioned a few times there, and uh, a lot of us have written about this. If Canada is going to be successful, a lot of that is going to depend on their transition game. So in your opinion, which player has to have, I guess let's call it an all-world performance for Canada to have a chance to upset Belgium? I think it starts and ends with Atiba Hutchinson because he is going to be the guy, I would imagine, as we saw in the Japan game, who's going to tuck into that back three at times in possession to give license to Alistair Johnson to get forward and and combine with Tejon Buchanan as, as we saw in that Japan game and some terrific balls in that match too. So I think he's going to have to be alert because you saw the difference it made having him who can recycle possession quickly sometimes slow the game down if you need it but in those situations he'll be able to get the ball forward quickly to maybe a Johnston who's going forward or possibly to a Jonathan David who drops deep turns around and progresses the ball the other way or Junior Hoyland what have you Um, he's going to be I think the key here because you saw the difference it made having him in that Japan game just for their transition defense more so but then also for how fast and or how how much they wanted to dictate the game against Japan compared to that Uruguay game this will be released on the 22nd, so I'm sure more information will, will come to light over the next few days. We're recording this on the 20th, just minutes before the actual start of the World Cup. Um, I think if I would have asked you this question yesterday, we would have gotten a different answer. Um, so let's assume Alfonso Davies is playing. We don't know. Yeah. What is Alfonso Davies, in your mind, specifically tactically 
need to do because i'm coming to you for the tactics you are the best tactics writer out there i mean that i'm not just blowing smoke what does alfonso davies need to do tactically again to contribute to this upset and it's these questions that fascinate me because i feel davies is going to be as fluid as it will possibly come in that yes he's going to be a left-sided player whether that's you know maybe further forward maybe tucked in behind a little bit I imagine he'll be deployed a little further forward and given the freedom to do as he wishes but he is going to be key to uh, I've always said that a player like Alfonso Davies raises Canada's ceiling and then a player like say Stefan Estacchio raises their floor in that you have that baseline, but then you have that game breaker like Davies who can just make a difference. And we saw it in, against Uruguay when he was kind of drifting all over the pitch and and combining with David at times, combining with, with the midfielders, making those third-man runs. He had six key passes in that game. Unfortunately, they didn't score. And I say that honestly quite, quite truthfully, that they really should have gotten a goal in that game. I think if they deploy him in that way, yes, he'll get a lot of attention. But he's a guy who, when you see him at Bayern now, he's given that freedom to drift inside a lot more. He's comfortable under pressure in those areas of the pitch. And he's also releasing the ball a little quicker. I know people always say that he's playing hero ball at times with Canada. I think that's happening less and less, especially at Bayern. But certainly now with Canada in that Uruguay game, as we saw, it's happening less. That, I think, is going to be how he'll be utilized. And even if there is a tension on him, that opens up space for Buchanan potentially or Johnson on the right side. Alfonso Davies will be the, the main talking point probably throughout the whole tournament. Um, I mean, one thing um, that you know I like to do is try and tell stories about this team and, and maybe talk about the players that don't you know, get enough, I guess, recognition because um, there's a ton of stories on this team. But for you, which player are you looking at, not just against Belgium, but throughout the whole tournament as one that maybe, you know, Canadian fans don't know a lot about, maybe a player who might have a breakout performance? Who's the player right now that we're not talking about? There are many candidates for this. Uh, I know Johnston's going to be top of mind for a lot of people. I'm going to go Sam Atakubi. I feel like he is a player who he'll deliver you a 7 out of 10 performance, but his 7 out of 10 flies under the radar because he's such a solid two-way fullback. And I think we saw that against Japan especially. There were some dangerous-looking transitional moments in that game. He shut them down completely, even the ones that looked to be offside and were eventually called offside. And then when he gets forward, he is very dynamic. He doesn't often get a lot of opportunities to do that. And when he does, it might not deliver that, you know, killer cross or, or that just that killer final ball. But make no mistake, he's lethal in the buildup. And I think just based on the fact that he is such a good two-way fullback, I feel a lot of Canadian fans, even those who know he's a good player, still don't often appreciate him enough. He could be a player who I think a lot of people are going to look at and say that is the definition of a complete fullback. And, and a tremendous story, too, when you consider this is a player not necessarily from Brampton, where about half the team are from. Uh, I wrote about him in depth at The Athletic. You know, he's a player that you know, has turned to meditation and yoga as a way to ground him. We know that when he was with the Whitecaps and even to start with the men's national team, he was a player that had a chip on his shoulder and a player that, you know, when he wasn't getting playing time would be quite vocal in his frustration. Um, And so I think we see him as a, you know, John Herdman called him very philosophical, a very deep thinker. And I think that's all part of his story. Um, The last thing I wanted to ask you, and you're going to get asked this a lot, 
I, I don't even know if I like this question, but I just feel like I have to ask it. Um, how does Canada's World Cup end? What, what is their record going to be? What's your prediction for how this whole thing goes for Canada? It's the golden question. I think, and I've said this for a couple weeks now, they are going to have a similar performance, I think, to what happened to Iran four years ago in that Spain-Portugal group where they're going to get a point off of the big boys, maybe beat that, you know, Morocco team, just like Iran did, of course, but narrowly miss out on the knockout stage as a result. But they're going to test everybody they play. This could actually be a very fascinating group in that way because... Chaotic. The word that I think has been thrown a lot around, around a lot, excuse me, is chaotic. And I mean, that's great. Like, again, we've talked about this. Croatia aging, mm-hmm. right? Belgium, a ton of pressure on them. Um, I, I, I like where your head is at. I mean, third, let's say they finish in third place in the group. I'd consider that a success, something to build upon, right? No? Oh, 100%, yeah. And, and even though the majority of the team is in that 25 to 29 age range, a lot of those guys are still 25, 26. So in four years' time, they'll be four years more experienced. They'll have this World Cup under their belts. And to be honest, they got a goal. They test all of the teams in their group and and even get a couple of results. I, I say you absolutely take that if you're Canadian. I um, I was very, very excited this morning. I got tickets to Germany's opener. Uh, loyal listeners, fans will know how I feel about Germany's national team. They were the first team I ever cheered for as a five-year-old. Um, so that's what I'm really looking forward to outside of obviously covering Canada. What are you looking forward to doing at your, it is your first World it Cup, is, is it not? Yeah. What, what, what's something that you have circled on the calendar? I have quite a few games circled on the calendar. Myself. Right on. Um, but it's just taking all of those in, I think speaking to all the fans from across the world and, and just sort of, you know, getting that authentic experience. One of the things that I'm really looking forward to, because no matter what country it's in, Argentina fans bring an atmosphere, as we've come to find out. And based on what we've seen walking around Doha, it doesn't matter what part of the city, tons of Argentina fans already. I'm going to a couple of those games. I imagine the atmosphere is going to be incredible at both matches I go to. In fact, all of them. And they're a favorite, potentially, to win the tournament. So I think there's even more excitement compared to four years ago when it was a bit of a tire fire, to say the least. Peter Galindo is referred to affectionately by John Herdman in every single John Herdman media availability as Statsman. So, Statsman, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That was Peter Galindo of MLS and Sportsnet. Talking tactics in the wind outside of Canada's training base in the desert, which is a sentence I never really thought I'd say. Um, We are just a day away from Canada's World Cup opener against Belgium. They kick off 10 p.m. local time. Uh, I'm still figuring out um, how I'm going to fill my day 10 p.m. local is a late start um, for some perspective. I, I needed to get some rest in last night, and I was in bed by 11 p.m., so I, <laughs> I'll definitely have to adjust my schedule tomorrow um, to be kind of at it for a 10 p.m. kickoff because a 10 p.m. kickoff also means, you know, a game finishing uh, a little bit before midnight, a press conference or, or availabilities mix on and, and press conference that will probably finish sometime, I would bet, around 1.30 local and then a story filed. If all goes well, some point around 3, 3.30 local. Um, 
So I'll have to make sure that I've got some some snacks waiting for me at home, uh, at home the in in this apartment downtown Doha. Um, I look forward to, to speaking, you know, to to fans after the game, so I can, you know, shed some light on what a World Cup match is actually like. It it is strange, you know, that Canada is one of the last teams to kick off. Um, again, I'm recording this on on Monday, November 21st in the morning, and. You know, many of my colleagues at The Athletic are preparing for uh, the United States' opener today. Um, and you can tell there's there's some sense of anticipation, you know, with them. We'll see what it's like, uh, you know, in a, in a staff meeting this morning. Um, you know, one of my colleagues basically said or there, there was a general feeling that it doesn't really feel like, like I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. It feels strange. Am, am I supposed to be excited? What's what's happening? It doesn't really feel, you know, like a World Cup yet. I was trying to offer some kind of, you know, support to to my colleagues and friends. Um, and someone just said, just wait till you step into the stadium. Everything will change then. Um, so I look forward to talking to you guys again after I do step inside the stadium and cover what could be you know, a massive game for Canada, a massive game in Canadian sports history could be, you know, just another, you know, step in the road of, of growth for this team. Could be an embarrassment. Who knows? That's why we're here. Um, thank you very, very much for listening. If you have any comments, please find find me on Twitter at Joshua Cloak, K-L-O-K-E. Let me know if there's anything you'd like to, to hear there's anything you'd like to learn about i intend for this you know short kind of podcast series uh, as as a vehicle to kind of let you guys in behind the curtain so if there's anything you want to know about please let me know thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon